Hi, you're listening to the DMBA podcast where we share business confidence for designers. My name is Alan and I'm a business designer and founder of the DMBA. Last week, we hosted a webinar on prototyping with numbers, and this episode is an audio version of the first part of that webinar. In it, I present how we can use math to create numerical prototypes which help us learn about viability and feasibility risks of our design concepts. Now, uh, we double-checked the audio snippet to make sure that it is understandable also without the visual help of the slides, which were used in the live webinar. Uh, but if you at any point want to see the slides or also listen in to the second part of the webinar, which was the live Q&A with uh, the participants, you can find the link to the recording, to the video recording in the description of this podcast. So I hope you enjoy the webinar recording and that you learn how to create numerical prototypes. And by the way, if you want to learn more about prototyping with numbers, uh, because in this webinar, we only covered the most fundamental ideas. You can also join us in the upcoming DMBA, which is a six-week online business education for designers. Because right now we are accepting applications for the next intake, which starts on March 1st, 2021. You can find more information about that on d.mba slash course. And now without further ado, here is the audio snippet of the webinar. So I think we will all agree that um, Pen and paper are a prototyping tool, right? You can you can have an idea, you take it pen and paper, you sketch something out, and you can very quickly get feedback and also see for yourself if this idea makes sense. Well, math is exactly the same. It is a prototyping tool that helps us test viability and, as you will see, also feasibility of ideas. So it's so powerful because it kind of complements the toolkit that we as designers already have. So numbers can be used the same way wireframes or logo versions can be used. They help us test viability and feasibility. Secondly, prototyping with numbers is so impactful because it helps us estimate relevancy of projects because with it, we can estimate budgets, we can estimate project scopes, we can estimate um, from business perspective, the relevancy of projects. And finally, as you know, numbers is the universal language of business. So by speaking it, we can better understand what value we are actually creating. And secondly, also we can better communicate the value that we are creating. Okay, before we go into what prototyping with numbers is and how to use it, I'll first share a story uh, which kind of explains how prototyping with number approach is different from the way we usually approach numbers uh, and use them, okay? And actually this, it's a story and it starts with Disney. So that's a nice, nice combination. So uh, Disneyland's, let's go back to the 1980s actually. So Disneyland's at that time and still are very successful, have a very successful business in the US. And at the time, many visitors came from Europe. So managers just thought to themselves, hey, let's open another Disneyland in Europe. So they did what every business person does. They did a very extensive research of more than 200 locations to try to figure out which one is the best location. And they landed on Paris. So in 1988, they started with the construction of Disney. At the time, it was called Euro Disney. And in 1992, they finished the construction and the park was huge. It had seven hotels, 6,000 rooms, 15 wonderful rides, and plenty of restaurants where 
visitors could get a snack. So when the Euro Disney opened, on the surface, everything looked great. Actually, at one point, it was the most visited paid tourist attraction in Europe. With only one, uh, there was like over 1 million people visiting every month. However, this surface level success was actually a huge business failure because each day, so just imagine this, each day the business was losing $1 million. So in the first two years, Euro Disney lost the company $1 billion. Why? Well, in planning for Paris, um, the Euro Disney management was actually drawing a lot on, was using the numbers or using assumptions from the US market and just simply applying it to European market. So let me give you a few examples of what they assumed would happen in Europe. So the first thing they, that the visitors in the US did was they stayed in the Disneyland complex on average for four days. Secondly, they ate in the Disney restaurants throughout the day, which means a lot of revenue. And finally, they also bought a lot of high-profit um, merchandise, such as T-shirts, hats, etc. And none of these things actually happened in Europe. So first of all, on average, people, so the European visitors or visitors of the Paris Euro Disney, only stayed two days on average. Partially, that was true because there were only 15 rides in Paris, which is less than in the US. So after two days, you were kind of left with no attractions to visit. Secondly, people didn't eat as much in the restaurants as they did in the US. For a very simple reason, European culture of peak hours. So everybody eats their lunch at noon and the restaurants in the Euro Disney were just not ready for that. They were more used for people eating throughout the day. And finally, also visitors did not buy so much of the high profit merchandise. And when you put all of these assumptions together, all of these wrong assumptions together, you end up with this huge fail. But the bigger fail didn't even, didn't even happen on the surface level of just launching this project. It was just on the way the management approached it, the way the numbers were used in this case. So what the managers forgot is that designing something new, even if just taking a new market, so extending to a new market, is, un, uh, is inherently unpredictable. However, the way most people and even business managers use numbers is plainly wrong for designing new things, for designing processes and products and UX and brands. So math and numbers are seen as this absolute truth. They look concrete, they look correct, they look like something we can rely on. So going back to the high school or your primary school, when you went to the math exam, there was always just one answer. You couldn't have five answers like you, you could maybe with um, uh, an arts project, right? So we have this built into ourselves that math is just, you know, it's very exact. But when we're designing new user experiences, brands, products, processes, we need a different mindset. We need a mindset of prototyping, which also applies to numbers. So we won't look at numbers as this ultimate truth, but as a prototyping tool. So we will consciously use numbers to get a correct, to, to basically get to correct numbers. So we will basically, in the prototyping with numbers, put out the wrong numbers to get to the correct ones and being very conscious of this process. That's basically and the basic idea of prototyping with numbers. 
Okay, so now I will show you on one example how to do it. So first example, and then I will try to recap on the process what we actually did. Again, if you have any questions, just drop them in the Q&A, and then I will get to them in the second part. Okay, so let's go to the first example. So let's just imagine that we are trying to open a food truck serving great ramen food. Okay, so how could we now use this to prototype with numbers to figure out the viability and also feasibility of this project? And by the way, this could be applied to anything, uh, anything also launching a new digital product, uh, you name it. So the very first step in the prototype with numbers approach is that we start always with our end goal, right? What are we trying to achieve? It's the same as we were trying to, for example, uh, design a new brand, right? We wanna design a um, desirable brand that would speak to a certain audience. Here, we just wanna verbalize this with numbers. So let's say that our goal for this food truck is actually to have a revenue of roughly half a million dollars. So we have this now at the top. This is in the red square, half a million per year. Now, the second step, very, very important, is that once we have this goal, now we want to create a goal-achieving scenario. In other words, we want to ask ourselves what needs to happen for us to achieve half a million. And this means just coming up with a list of assumptions and putting out, as I said before, wrong numbers. So this is not about finding the number. It's just about figuring out what would need to happen for us to actually achieve half a million, right? So what I have here is one example. So if an average price of a dish is $10, and let's say that per year we work 250 days, it means that we would have to actually serve 20 ramen dishes per hour. And if we assume 10 hours per day, so we our food truck would work 10 hours in these 250 days, we would each day sell 200 ramen dishes. If we multiply these things together, so $10 per dish, with 250 days, with 200 dishes, we get to our half a million. And as you can already see, I have another column on the right-hand side. So yes, we always try to create multiple examples, multiple scenarios to see you know, what are different options. It's the same exactly as maybe creating different UX um, flows for the user experience or different logo versions, because we want to see you know, where, where the boundaries of the solution are. Here is just the same, just with numbers. So now let's say that maybe we create another scenario where price is lower. So we have $8 instead of 10. Then we have, um, let's keep 250 working days. And now if we actually wanna achieve our half a million, we have to increase the ramens created per hour from 20 to 25. This means 250 ramens per day, which would again give us the half a million mark that we are looking for. So these are just two scenarios. Usually in this process, we would create more. Now, the very important part here is that we don't assume that we are right. We do exactly the opposite. We assume that we are wrong. So a lot of times when we're creating new things, we put out these numbers, so we create certain back of the envelope calculations, and we kind of hope that we are right. Here, we just wanna flip it around. We actually assume we are wrong, and we are looking at all the assumptions that we have made that now we need to test. So in our case, we have three very apparent assumption that we have made. One is the price, $10. Second is we need to actually achieve or create 20 ramen dishes per hour. And we're also assuming that we're gonna work 250 days per year. This may be true, 
but we also could be working more or we could be working less. So now what we want to do is we want to pick the riskiest assumptions and start testing them. So let's just imagine that the second one, so number of dishes that we would create per hour, in our case, 20, let's just assume that this is the riskiest assumption and that we want to test it. So now we would turn this assumption into a test. So we have a confirmable hypothesis. So we predict that we can make 20 ramen dishes per hour with consistent quality. So that's our status quo. We believe this is true. And how we will try to figure this out is by renting a professional kitchen for a week. And then within this week, we will try to run multiple one hour cooking sprints to actually see if we can achieve this number of 20 um, ramen dishes with consistent quality. That's our main metric, that's our objective. And it's very important that it's confirmable by having this number because if we are above that, we can confirm it. If we're below that, we can reject it. Otherwise, if we don't have a very confirmable number, we could just be running into confirmable, uh, not confirmable, but the confirmation bias, where at the end of the experiment, if you didn't have a very clear objective, you can always go back and say, yeah, okay, I think we got it right. So very important to have confirmable hypothesis. Now I wanna um, focus your attention on the last point here, scope, super, super important part. And one of the biggest advantages of this approach. So now instead of me actually hoping that my numbers are right and just buying a food truck, buying all the ingredients, creating a brand, finding, uh, creating marketing bus, et cetera, instead of doing all of that and hoping that I'm right, I can attack my risk as assumption. And I can attack it with much less funds. So in this case, only with $5,000. And this is the money that we would invest into renting this professional kitchen, buying all the ingredients, maybe even some help in the, in the kitchen that we can actually mimic how it would be if it would be two or three people actually doing it. And this 5K is much cheaper than actually buying a food truck. Now, the second really interesting advantage of this approach is that this is almost like an interesting detective story. So this very first test will uncover more things that we need to test, right? Let's just imagine that we accept this hypothesis, we have tested it and it's true. But now during this experiment, we found out that actually, we probably are not gonna have just 20 people showing up every hour. We may have peak hours, right? So how many ramen dishes will we have to make in the peak hours? So maybe we will just have two peaks during the day for the lunch and for the dinner. And maybe instead of creating 20 dishes every hour, now we have to create 80 dishes for lunch and 80 dishes for dinner, right? And you can see how this really nicely takes you through the experiment, experimental process of trying to figure out these numbers. And the very nice thing about it is once you have the experiment, now you can put a much more concrete number back into your prototype, right? So because what we have created before, the scenario, that's what I call a numerical prototype. So after the experiment, we can take this number. So let's say that we actually did this experiment and we find out that we can do 30 dishes. We can put it back into our prototype. And now we see basically how the numbers change, right? And maybe then the next experiment would be to figure out the price. Good. So as I said before, we're gonna do one example, then I'll show you what we actually did. So here's the process. So prototype with numbers has three really simple steps. We start with an end goal in mind. In other words, we're trying to ask ourselves, what are we trying to achieve? If you're starting a new venture, uh, an end goal could be, we want to um, 
we want to have 1 million in revenue. If you're creating a new process, maybe for this restaurant, let's say that we want to decrease the number of, or, or like the waiting time. We want to decrease it from 20 minutes to five minutes. So your goal is five minutes. You know, you start with your end goal. And then in the sec- second step, we basically go into creating a goal achieving scenario. And here we ask ourselves what needs to be true for us to achieve this goal. And now we need to basically create a scenario, come up with the list of assumptions, uh, which would help us achieve the goal we set in the beginning. And then the third step, we want to turn these assumptions um, into basically a testing plan. Um, So we want to start with the risk assumption and slowly work our way back to all the assumptions so we have a pretty robust prototype. Yeah. Okay, so let's actually have a look at another example, which is looking at designing processes. Just, I think it's going to give you more 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 ideas for how to use this approach. Okay, so now let's imagine that we want to improve our customer support. Because right now, every day we receive far more customer support questions or tickets than we can handle, right? So this means that our backlog is increasing and the waiting time for each new ticket is actually extending, which is a really bad problem to have. What we want to do in this case is we want to start with the status quo. We want to understand the current situation, right? Through numbers. So here, this is not a scenario. This is the current status. So let me walk you through. On top, again, we have our goal. So our goal is to have an average customer support reply within 24 hours. In other words, we want to have enough capacity to answer all questions fast. Okay, currently we have 1,000 tickets coming through the doors every day. So 1,000 questions from our customers. Each of our employees working the customer support team can actually handle 6.25 on average per hour, right? Let's assume that they work for eight hours. So if you multiply 6.25 with eight hours, we get to the 50, the 50 mark, which is the how much each employee in the customer support team can handle each day. So that's 50 tickets. Okay, if we have 10 employees, this is 500 tickets that we can handle. And as you can see in the very first point, we have 1,000 coming in and we can only handle 500. So at the bottom here, you see that the the tickets to capacity ratio is roughly two. No, actually it's exactly two. And what we wanna do is get closer to one or even below one, which means that we have more capacity than inflow of tickets. So what can we do? Right. So here is again where this prototype with numbers comes in really, really handy. We can see which things we can affect to start improving this. So one thing we could uh, improve, and this is probably the most obvious thing, is just increase the number of support. Um, so the customer, so um, people working in the customer support team. So if we increase this number to 20 from 10, right? It used to be 10, now it's 20. We will reach our goal of keeping track of all customer support tickets within a day, within 24 hours. But the beauty of this approach is that you can identify even less obvious opportunities for improvement. For example, how might we decrease customer support tickets that we receive each day, right? Maybe we can change onboarding of the product and make it more clear. Maybe we can change instructions in the product. Maybe we can change product design so that we um, customers, so the less customers reach out to the customer support team. Because if we get it down by a half, so from 1,000 to 500 inflow of tickets, we will again reach our goal 
of having the same amount of uh, basically yeah the tickets inflow of tickets the same as our capacity. There is also the third option, which is we somehow improve productivity of our customer support team. Right? What if their process is very unproductive currently, and we have an idea for how to design a new process which will improve the situation? So now again, we have a list of assumptions that we can test. So in this case, the numbers to be tested could be, hey, can we do something with the support tickets that income uh, that basically come through the door each day? Secondly, um, is there something we can do with the productivity? So 6.25 um, tickets being handled by each employee every day. And lastly, we can also work with the number of customer support employees, which is 10. So let's again take one of these examples. Let's say that we feel very confident that we, should, we could actually improve the productivity of our team. So the same thing as before, we turn this into a test. So we start with a confirmable hypothesis. So we predict that email templates could actually be the way for customer support team to actually uh, to answer these tickets faster. The way we'll try to do it is by analyzing 500 tickets, trying to figure out which categories of questions are most, are most frequent and then create templates of answers for it. And the main metric here is we wanna improve the productivity per hour per employee from 6.25 to 12.5. Scope, again, much, uh, it's, it's, it's one month. Let's say we would need three employees and uh, this would cost us, a, cost us around 30K in their salaries and other resources to actually figure out if this is possible. Okay, so what we're actually seeing now is that numbers are basically a design tool. Just like, so basically they can help us designing UX, products, operations, business models, Etc. They're just as much as a design tool, just as wireframes or mockups are. And the nice thing about them, it's a simple math. It's just division. It's really simple mathematical um, equations that we all can use. Okay. So now at the end, before we go into the Q&A, so yeah, if you have questions, again, put them in the Q&A and I will get to them now in the second part. Um, at the end, let's have a look at basically relevancy for designers' work. So how can this be applied to our work? Um, the very first thing is we can estimate potential of certain product ideas or service ideas. Um, so by seeing basically the revenue potential or the cost saving potential, we can much better also judge uh, which projects we could be, we should be taking on or our team should be taking on, right? So we've seen how that can be done with the example first, with the first example of the food truck. Secondly, we can apply these to design companies, operational plans and processes. One of the, the, the applications for design that's not being used as much currently, but will be very much in the future is applying design thinking to processes. So applying the same process that we have to design the uh, products to processes within the company to improve them. Then in the third point, we can estimate project budgets. This very much goes to the first two points because if we know the impact that we are having with a project before we started, we also kind of know what budget is, it makes sense, right? So like if a revenue potential for a certain product is let's say 10 million per year, you get the sense that you shouldn't be investing 50 million in it, right? So you kind of get the sense for how much 
resources you could be investing for certain projects, uh, how much it makes sense at least. And finally, as you have seen, so this is a very complementary tool to the, basically to the toolkit that we already have, to the research toolkit that we already have as designers. Um, so we can use it. It doesn't have to substitute what we do. It's a complement, right? When we're thinking about these ideas, concepts, whatever, we can do this very quick math on the back end just to get some ideas for, for questions we may be asking in the interviews or maybe for experiments that we can run, right? And you can see basically how very structured this process can also be. So the audio recording of the webinar stops here, but if you wanna listen in to the second part, the live Q&A with participants, you can also watch the recording of the whole uh, event, and you can find the link in the description of this podcast. Moreover, if you would like to learn more about prototyping with numbers, or just in general, more about business skills relevant for designers to gain more business confidence, to have more impact in your role, you can also join us in the upcoming DMBA. Right now, we're accepting applications for the next intake, which starts in a few weeks on March 1st, 2021. And you can find more information about that on d.mba course, or you can straight apply on d.mba apply. So that's all in this episode. Enjoy and talk to you soon.